0: tonight we are going to follow up on a story that we talked about two weeks ago back before fall break and, uh, and a man named Abraham. And so I hope you guys have been uh, getting that tracing the thread book. I hope you have been involved in that even though we took a break for fall break just to keep track of what we're talking about on Wednesday night. So um, that is one of one of the reasons why that's such a big deal is because you're not just limited to what the 25 minutes or whatever time I've got up here can communicate to you. All right, if that's all you're getting out of it, then you're missing so much. And, um, and it's an opportunity for you to spend time with God by yourself and for you to think through some questions and for God to reveal who he is to you. And those moments are so powerful and they shape your faith. And uh, plus it gives you a chance as a small group to, to walk through these things together and to talk about them. And um, and plus, there's so many things that we are not talking about on Wednesday night just because we don't have time to. So many stories that we have to skip over. So if you think the Bible's boring, then just know that we are skipping over stories that have happened right around this time frame in the story about sodomy, about incest, about cities being destroyed, about angels coming and rescuing people, about people turning into pillars of salt. I mean, there's some crazy crap that's going down. And we're not even talking about that because we just don't have time to. So I encourage you to get the Tracing the Thread book and, uh, and pick up a Bible and walk through that and, and read some of those stories that you're missing out on uh, because it's really, really good. So two weeks ago, we looked at a man called, named Abraham. And we talked about his faith and how God came to him and God had great, great plans for him and God had things that he wanted to do uh, in Abraham's life. But there was a major obstacle that was in the way. And what was it? Oh, man, you're hurting. I'm all about my feelings now. What is it? What was the obstacle that Abraham faced? And his wife, Sarah, they couldn't couldn't have a baby, right? So God says, hey, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have more descendants than the grains of sand on the shore. And, you know, all these great things. And making all these grand promises to Abraham. And Abraham's like, hey, yo, God, I don't have any kids because my wife is barren and she can't have kids. And so God is promising these great things. And yet there are obstacles in the way. And so what we talked about was God calls us to push past the obstacles and the doubt and to trust him to do the impossible. And so God takes Abraham out in Genesis 15 and he says in verse 5, he says, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And then verse 6 says, it says, and Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now think about this for just a minute. Abraham believed God in spite of the obstacle, in spite of the things that were in the way of that. And all Abraham had was a promise. He just had God's word. He didn't have, in fact, he didn't even experience it. It wasn't even a few months later. All of a sudden Sarah's like, hey, I'm pregnant. And he's like, all right, God's amazing. He really backed up his promise. No, they had to wait 25 years for God's promise to come to fruition. So just think about that. Have you ever in your life or can you think of just praying to God for something and having to wait a long time to get an answer? Like what do you do in those moments? There may be something you're like, man, I've prayed to God for a couple of weeks and God hasn't done anything about it. Or I prayed to God two or three times and God didn't didn't answer my prayer and all, so then what happens do do we give up do we throw in the towel do we feel like god doesn't care about us do we feel like god's not there god doesn't answer us like what does that cause us to do or are we willing even when we don't get an answer right away are we willing to be faithful and to continue to trust god even when we don't know how long it's going to take Or do we even take matters in our own hands? And here's the thing. Abraham and and Sarah, they did a lot of those things. Yeah, they had faith and they trusted God. And it says that it was counted by God to Abraham as righteousness because of his faith. But if you really follow the story, like it's not all rainbows and butterflies. It wasn't just... Abraham and Sarah believed them 100%, and it was so easy, and they trusted God. And then 25 years later, after no doubt or no questions, then all of a sudden God answered the prayer. No, there was moments of doubt, and there were moments of like, man, I'm not really sure this is going to happen. And then there was even a moment where Abraham and Sarah took matters into their hands. And they got tired of waiting, and it wasn't really all that long after God had made this promise to him in Genesis chapter 15. So they came up with a plan. Check out this plan. They came up with a plan for Abraham to sleep with the servant girl. So Sarah's like, hey, honey, why don't you just sleep with my servant girl? Because I can't have kids. So therefore, that that kid that you have with her, that will be my son. And that's how God will fulfill his promise. Right? So they got impatient. They thought God needed their help. And they wanted to move that plan along a little bit. Right? Hey, God, let's hurry this whole thing up. And so Abraham slept with a servant and she became pregnant. And it created issues. No crap. Right? Like if Angel's like, hey, honey, I don't think you should sleep with this other girl. Like there's going to be issues. And they name him Ishmael. And Sarah becomes jealous. As any girl would. She all of a sudden starts hating this woman named Hagar. And she doesn't like her anymore. And now she becomes jealous her and Abraham began to fight with each other as, they would, as that would happen, right? The servant girl felt like an outcast after she gave birth to Ishmael. That was what they named the son. And she actually left. And there was a period of time where she's wandering in the desert. And she felt like, man, this is, you know, I mean, there's just so many things that it created because Adam or because Abraham and Sarah got impatient with God. And Ishmael is the name that they gave the son through Hagar, who is the father of the Arab people. So if you know anything about the religion of, of, about Muslims, the Muslim religion, they believe that Abraham, Father Abraham is the same father that the Jews have and that Christians have, right? There's Father Abraham, but they believe that that line was through Ishmael, which was where the prophet Muhammad came from, right? So their whole religion comes back to this. But Ishmael wasn't the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. So by Abraham and Sarah taking matters into their own hands, they create all kinds of chaos, all kinds of issues. And so you and I, sometimes we may get impatient with God's plan, but it's never an excuse for us to sin or for us to go and kind of speed things along or come up with our own plan. So even though Abraham and Sarah are impatient, God is patient with them. And God is gracious to them. And God comes back to Abraham after that. And he reminds them of his promise. And he calls Abraham, hey, walk in obedience to me and to my plan. Because I've got this thing figured out. And so here's what happened in Genesis chapter 21, starting in verse 1. It says, the Lord, after 25 years, kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what, had been, what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the right time that God said it would. So God did exactly what he had promised Abraham and Sarah. And so they have this kid and they name him Isaac. And so imagine the joy that Abraham and Sarah felt. Right? Imagine like after 25 years of them Receiving this promise from God and praying and believing in faith and even having shortcomings and and failures of their own. Like they constantly come back to this thing and they're holding out hope. God, when is it going to take place? And then it finally happens. And Sarah gives birth to a son named Isaac. And imagine the joy that they feel. And this is such an amazing thing. Imagine the, the faithfulness of God that they see and the excitement and how much they worship God because of what he has done. And you think, why did God wait so long? Because God wanted to build faith in Abraham. God wanted to build faith in Abraham. You and I, when we get impatient, like why does God not answer us immediately in that moment or in that timing that we feel like he should? Because God wants to build faith in us. It's not that he's uncaring. It's not that he's distant. It's not that he doesn't have a plan. But God wants us to trust him. And Abraham was going to need a whole lot of faith in order to make it through this next situation that God was going to bring him through. So we're going to pick up tonight in Genesis chapter 22. So if you brought your Bibles, you, you can uh, open that up now. If you've got it on your app, you can do that. Just flip over from Snapchat and you can follow along. So here's how it goes. Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. And here's what it says. Sometime later. All right, maybe say eight, 10, 12 years, something like that. God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Say what? Verse three, the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and he took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come back. So Abraham uh, placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Isaac is a smart little fellow. Verse 8, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham called the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Listen to what happens in verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son. I swear by my own name, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all servants and travel back to Beersheba. Where Abraham continued to live. And Isaac never went on a camping trip ever again with his psycho dad, right? It doesn't say that, but it probably should. Probably some trust issues there. Like how crazy is that story? What an amazing thing. And there's so many things to pick apart here. I'm I'm amazed by Abraham's faith. Amazed by Abraham's faith. We never see... We never see Abraham fight back against God, right? Like what the heck? We think certainly there must have been some dialogue back and forth, but there isn't any. There had to have been a like, what, are you serious? Are you crazy? Why are you calling me to do that? But it says Abraham got up the next day and he packed up his things and he said, let's go. It's amazing that he trusted God. He does what God says. Now here's the deal. He had built many altars to God over the years. He had built many altars to God over the years. And he had sacrificed many sheep and animals. And this was an Old Testament way that the people worshiped God. So they would build an altar and they would lay on the altar an animal or whatever as a sacrifice. And it was a sign of worship to God. So Abraham had done this multiple times. And especially as God had made these promises to him. And now God is telling him to build an altar and to put on it the son that he had been waiting 25 years to have. And yet we don't even, we don't even see him fight back about it. But it seems like as he goes about it, he seems to have this belief that God won't make him actually sacrifice Isaac. Right? He tells the servants, hey, we'll, we'll go and worship and then we will be right back. When Isaac asks, hey, where's the animal? He says, God will provide the sheep. So he has these moments where it's like he almost, I'm trusting God. I'm believing God's going to provide another way. This idea is crazy and surely God's not going to carry it out. But even in that moment when God didn't intervene and he's got Isaac strapped to this altar. And he picks up that knife. He's still ready to go through with it. It's just amazing to me. And how the heck do you think Isaac felt? Like, there's some major counseling sessions that need to take place. That relationship, you would think, maybe wasn't ever the same. I'm I'm just reading into that. But, hey, Dad, remember that time, like, you were going to kill me? Like, you were going to put me on an altar and, like, you you had the knife in your hand. Like, man, that was crazy, Dad. Like, what the heck? Right? I mean, he's not winning any Dad of the Year awards or anything like that. Just a crazy story that we look at and go, man, there's just so much there. Here's the big question I think maybe some of us are, are, are asking ourselves. Why would God ask Abraham to kill a son? Listen, we're having some trouble over there tonight. Why would God ask Abraham to kill a son? Isn't God commanding Abraham to sin and commit murder? So as and that initially that's what you read at, and you're like, all right, does God like is God gonna tell me to kill a family member? Like, what the heck? Here's the reality. As you dive in and you understand the story, the truth is God was never going to let Isaac die. So either Abraham, when he heard that from God, would go, "Nah, God, that's cool. Like I've been waiting 25 years for this kid and now you've given it to me. There's no way that I'm giving him up. There's no way I'm gonna do that, that crazy thing. In which case, who knows how the story changes and you know, all of that kind of stuff. That could have been one option if Abraham would have said that. Or Abraham follows through with it. He would do what God commanded and then God would step in at the last minute and he would rescue Isaac, which is exactly what happened. So there wasn't a scenario where Isaac was actually going to die. And so the question I think that we need to ask is not, why did God tell Abraham to kill his son? I think the question we need to ask is, did Abraham love Isaac more than he loved God? That really is the question that not only are we looking and analyzing at the story, but also as it applies to us. And it is obvious from this story that Abraham loved God more than the son that he had waited so long for. And that's what God was making sure of. That's exactly what God was trying to do. And because Abraham passed that ultimate test, then God says at the end of of that passage that he reconfirmed his promise with Abraham. And so God valued Abraham's faith and his obedience no matter how crazy the circumstances sounded. So here's kind of the application. As crazy as it sounds, you and I and Abraham aren't that different. Now, there's going to be no like human sacrifices tonight. There's no altars that we're going to build. We're not going to like, choose who we're going to sacrifice tonight or anything crazy. All right? We're not 100 years old. We don't wander in the desert. Like, so, but what I'm talking about, metaphorically speaking, here's, the, here's how this story ties into us. We all have an altar. And we all have a throne. You and I all have a throne. All right, I'm not talking about a toilet. We we all have a throne. And what we worship, we put on that throne. And what we are willing to give up, what we're willing to sacrifice goes on that altar. So my question to you tonight is what's on your throne and what's on your altar? What is it, when it comes to your throne, what is it that you worship more than anything else? And you want to figure that out, like, where do you spend the most time? What do you think the most about? What do you value the most? What is that thing, that person, that thing that you possess, whatever it is, what is that thing that you worship? Because that's what's on the throne. And who or what are those things in your life that they're important, they matter to you, they're a big deal at certain times, but if if you had to, like, yeah, I would give that up. Yeah, I don't really need that. What's on your throne and what's on your altar? Now, I can't ask you a question and not think through it myself and, and all of that. So I have so many things that God has blessed me with. And over the last few days, just thinking through, man, I've got an amazing family that I love and I'm thankful for. And be able to have vacations like we did last week at the beach and just spend time together. And like that is something I'm so thankful for that I have. I'm thankful for this ministry that I get to be a part of. I'm thankful for what I get to do here at, at Westridge and what I get an opportunity to lead in. I love what I get to do. I'm grateful and thankful for so many friends and relationships and so many different things that I've got in my life. And God has given me those things to remind me how good he is and how much he loves me. And those things that you have in your life, and you may look and go, I don't have that, but I've got this. Like those things that you have in your life, God has given those things to you to remind you how good he is and how much he loves you. That's part of the way that He communicates that to you. And the absence of those things does not mean that God doesn't love you, but God gives those things in part as just a way to remind you, "Hey, I love you, I, I'm, I care about you. I have what's best for you." But none out of my life. They're rather meant to help me worship God even more. Those things, as important to me as they are, they belong on the altar. So the question for you is, what is on your throne and what is on your altar? We have to be careful not to take the storyteller, God, off the throne and to put him on the altar. Because he only belongs on the throne of our lives. He's the one that this story is about. He is the creator. He is the one that made you in his image. He is the one that has plans and purposes for your life. He is the one that wants to have a close relationship with you. He is the only thing that belongs on the throne of our lives. But we also have to be careful that we don't put other things on the throne that are meant for the altar. So my question to you is, do do you worship that relationship? And is that the thing that you care about more than anything else? Is it the sports that you play? Is it your schoolwork? Is it your career? Is it your future? Is it yourself? Are there things in your life that God has given to you and he has blessed you with that you have rather taken and removed God from the throne and you've put those things up in his place? And as great as those things are, what we do is we create idols in our lives When the only thing that we're meant to worship is God himself. And here's the the danger of that. When we put those things on the throne instead of God, eventually it will lead us to a bad place. That relationship will end as impossible as that may sound. And then, then what are we left with? We end up becoming dissatisfied with certain things that we have made everything We're no longer happy. And then as a result of that, it could even lead us to a place of of depression and anxiety where we just feel alone. And God will put us in situations to make sure that we don't love those things that he's given to us more than we love him. You say, why does he do that? Because just like Adam and Eve, our close relationship and connection with God is the most important thing. That's what God wants for us because that is where our hope is found. That is where our significance is found. That is where our joy is found. Not in those other things that are meant to be put on the altar. So the main point tonight for us is this. Who or what we put on the altar is meant for worship to who or what we put on the throne. And here's the thing, Abraham understood that. That's why he was willing to obey God, even do something so crazy as sacrifice the son that he had waited so long for. And because of that, God used Abraham in incredible ways. And not even his own son was worth more to him than his close connection and relationship with God. Now, here's the amazing thing. Here's what makes this so incredible and how it ties to the gospel. God didn't ask Abraham to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. So not only did God ask Abraham to sacrifice his only son. And then not make him actually do that. But God actually went through with that. God actually gave up his one and only son. And he did it for your behalf and for mine. He did it because of his extravagant, reckless love for you and for me. He did it because he wanted to repair that broken relationship and connection that sin had severed because it was that important to him. And so God is not cruel and mean when we read this story, but rather God is loving and compassionate and God was willing to risk it all, even his own son, so that you and I could have a relationship with him. That's how much it means to him. Here's what it says in 1 John 4, verse 9 and 10. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So the reality is, God didn't hold anything back for us. Are we willing to do the same for God? So what is on your throne? Have you put God on the throne? Is is he what you worship more than anything else? Is he the center of your life? Is he the thing that matters to you more than anything else? Or have you put something else in his place? And the challenge for all of us is that if we are willing to keep God on the throne and to put everything else on that altar and sacrifice and worship to him, then that's where we'll experience the life that God has for us. That's the place that God desires for us to be. And Abraham was willing to do that. And because of that, God used his obedience and he blessed them and he used him to do incredible things. And God's desire is to do the same for us. Let's pray together. God, there's so many different aspects to this story that we can get lost in or misunderstand. God, I thank you for giving us the example of Abraham. And God, it seems like such a far-fetched idea that we could have that same faith that Abraham had. God, it's inspiring, but it's, it's also in some ways just feels impossible. And God, yet you desire through our close connection with you to build that type of faith in us where we believe that you can do the impossible and we're willing to risk it all for the sake of following after you and worship of who you are. God, I pray if there are students in the room tonight that have never experienced that hope and that life that you offer, that you were willing to give up your own son and sacrifice for us so that our relationship could be restored with you. God, if there are students who have never trusted you as their savior, God, I pray that they would do that, that they would experience that connection with you and experience that not only eternal life, but to be able to walk in relationship with you every day. God, I pray that you would build that kind of faith in us. And God, may we be willing to take those things off the throne that we've put in your place and be willing to center our lives around you and worship you above all else. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.